0: This is the Fathering Project podcast, Figuring It Out Together, where we tackle many challenges facing dads and father figures and explore fathering across all ages, from newborns to toddlers, school age, and teenagers. We speak with experts in their fields to help you navigate solutions and positive outcomes for each stage of your fathering journey. Let's figure it out together. And welcome to the Fathering Project Podcast. Katy Gapayar here, and with me today is Sean Zepps. In today's episode, we chat to Sean about his newly released book, Not Like Other Dads: Navigating Parenting and Family Life. Sean Zepps is an award-winning podcast host, presenter, content creator, and author. His hilarious Instagram videos about his love-hate relationship with parenting often go viral, garnering millions of views. He can currently be heard as the host of Listeners Come Out Wherever You Are podcast, Radio Today's 2022 Australian Podcast of the Year. Sean lives in Sydney with his husband and their boy-girl twins, Stella and Cooper. We are very excited to have him join us today. Sean, a big welcome to you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Really excited to get started on this. So firstly, a huge congratulations on the release of your new book. Can you give us a brief overview of what inspired you to write it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, like so many of your listeners, I was a parent who was desperate to consume as much content as possible to ensure that I was prepared. You know, there are different types of parents and I was the one who bought all the physical books. I love physical books. I love the smell of them. I like to hold them in my hand and it just really made me feel more and more prepared as we got closer to parenthood. When I was out about shopping for books, you know, you, you notice a quite obvious trend. A lot of the parenting books are directed to women. Uh, There definitely are great fatherhood books and I did buy them. But I noticed very early on, even before having kids, that there weren't a lot of books that spoke to my unique story, which is that of a gay man going on the parenting journey. After the kids were born, I would go into bookstores and I would just walk right up to the staff and I'd say, you don't have any queer parenting books, do you? Specifically memoirs, because it just happens to be a format that I enjoy. It's a genre that I love to read personally. And so I just would always ask every few months, six months, nine months, three months, hey, do you have any memoirs for queer parenting? And over the course of five years, I was like, I'm a marketer. That's what I've done professionally my whole career. I'm a data guy. I look for opportunities. I saw a gap in the market and I decided to fill the gap in the market. And that's why I wrote the memoir.
0: Fantastic. Um, that That is obviously a, a fantastic way of doing it. I mean, you see a gap in the market and parenting can be difficult to navigate for anyone. And um, especially as you say, for um, same sex couples, it's even it can be even more difficult. So thank you very much for putting that together for everyone out there and all our listeners. Um, Sean, did you... Um, come across any specific obstacles when you were writing this book that came up for you?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Anytime you're writing a memoir, different than, say, a novel, you are going into your past and revisiting the highest of highs, and of course, the lowest of lows. And that requires a very strong individual If anyone's listening and wants to write a memoir, I would highly recommend it, but I would also highly recommend that you have a very strong support system around you. And maybe uh, with the guidance of your your GP, you might want to see a therapist, because what happens during that process is you're not just going into the past, you're actually looking for as many details about those memories, the sound of the room, the smell, the people, what you were wearing, what it looked like, the temperature. And when you're asked to do that, or you're asking yourself to do that, a lot of strong memories come up, and that can be really challenging. So I would say the hardest part for me was going back to my childhood and thinking about what it was like to be raised Roman Catholic, what it was like to come out of the closet at a young age in the 90s, what it was like to be a young person in a world where it wasn't legal for gay people to be married and where you didn't see queer people as parents. What was it like? The hardest part was to kind of sit twice, three times a week in, that, in those memories, a lot of those memories that had been suppressed. Obviously, on the other side of that is a wonderful gift, which is sharing those stories and those memories with the world, which helps to educate and bring awareness. And then also, the great challenge is to do more work on that trauma. So taking those chapters and literally bringing them to my friends, bringing them to my partner, bringing them to my parents. So yeah, very, very challenging to have to kind of relive some of that. But I think on the other side, I've probably done about a decade worth of therapy in a very short period of time just by writing those chapters.
0: <laughs> and saved some money too, probably.
1: Oh, yes. Uh-
0: talking about challenges um have you can you elaborate on specific challenges that you've encountered as a gay parent and how you overcame them personally and as a family as well
1: i mean the biggest one and it's probably like the obvious elephant in the room is the internalized homophobia that lives inside of me and the outward homophobia that lives inside of others if you're going to decide to become a queer parent you have to battle through your own issues that society has placed on you that are still living inside of you. Am I good enough? Are people going to judge me? Am I going to be welcomed? Is my family, are my friends going to support me and are strangers going to support me? And that's even before you consider the homophobia that your children are likely to face. Am I putting them in a terrible situation? Are they going to experience excess bullying? just because of the makeup of our family. And so that's the obvious hurdle is, am I prepared to do this? Do I want to put my children in this situation? There are a lot of other people who are not queer who have the exact same questions to ask themselves and the same hurdles to jump over. I have friends with dwarfism. I have friends in wheelchairs. I have friends in interracial couples. And I have friends who have chosen to go down the parenting journey as solo parents. And all of them struggle with similar questions. But if you can look at your partner or if you're doing it solo, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I know that I'll be good at this. I believe that I can provide love to however many children we're lucky enough to have. And I believe that I have the support of people around me, then that hurdle is one worth jumping over, like that work is worthy, because then you go in the parenting journey, probably a little bit more prepared than the average person who might not be considering the hurdles that they'll be faced with, right? Who just get pregnant, nine months later, they have a baby. Well, I actually had probably a lifetime of considering, can I handle this? Am I strong enough? So that's probably the first and obvious one. And on a day-to-day basis, you're dealing with it, right? You're dealing with strangers, Expecting that your children have mothers. You're dealing with forms that you have to fill out where you're crossing out mom and writing dad on top of it. You're dealing with doctors handing you postnatal depression forms that literally say mother on the top of it. And so you're constantly reminded on a day-to-day basis, even though you don't think about it all the time, that you are different. And in some people's minds, you are bad or wrong. And then I guess the other hurdle that I that I think is important to bring up is. If you go down the surrogacy path, if you need to do IVF, um, then you need to hire a lot of individuals. It is a complicated and very expensive process. My husband and I spent 250000 Australian dollars. So it is a serious privilege place for us to sit in, to even be able to afford that. Queer people can't just snap their fingers and have a child at the very low end They're spending, like many heterosexual couples who go down IVF, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars just to get to the starting line, let alone the finish. And so I think, yes, the struggles of being a queer person the internalized homophobia, the outward homophobia, that's really hard. And that's a daily challenge. But then on the other side of that is just the hurdle of, well, what happens if you can't even afford to start a family? What if you can't afford to adopt? What if you can't afford a round of IVF? And so I think it's important to discuss that, that yeah, it's really expensive and every queer person who would like to be a parent has to figure that out before they can even begin.
0: It's a reminder that parents really have the opportunity to be conscious parents, Mm. lead the way in how they show up for their kids, the way you describe your preparation for parenthood. Mm. You bring up children can often be shaped by your own parents, of course, and what you witnessed while growing up. Do you believe your parenting style has been impacted by your own parents?
1: Absolutely. So the title of my memoir is Not Like Other Dads. And when people see that title, they think, oh, it must be about Sean, right? He's different. He's gay. He is not like other dads. But I actually took the title from a sentence I wrote about my father. My father was not like other dads. And that inspired me to be not like other dads. Because on a day-to-day basis, I don't think of myself as a gay man. I don't like look in the mirror and go, there you are, gay man, standing there, brushing his teeth. It doesn't pass my mind. I'm just a person just trying to keep my tiny humans alive and give them the best life they can. It doesn't get brought up. Other people often bring it up to me. I was really lucky. I had a father who was very involved. I had a father who worshiped my mother and outwardly communicated that worship on a regular basis. I knew that she was a power player in our family because of him and the way in which he articulated how important she was, how necessary she was, how much work was on her plate. And so from a young age, I was like, oh, other men don't talk about their wives that way. I don't hear that spoken about all the time. And because of that, I really wanted to be a mothering figure because of the way he talked about her in that role. He did a lot of things that men traditionally did not. He was the laundry guy. He was the one who woke us up and got us ready and out the door. He was the one... Who did our homework with us. He did just as much cleaning as she did. He did just as many dishes, all the kind of traditional housework that historically that has been thrust on women. And I would even argue today in modern culture, a lot of women are still just kind of following the script of their own mother. My dad did that. And so by the time I became a father, my script per se was inspired by that, that parenting is equal. It's not always 50-50, but we should be working as much as possible to try to round out a 100 together, that there's no one role that it should be assigned to a gender. I just didn't have that as an example for me. So I obviously didn't believe it when I chose to parent. And that meant that when my husband and I sat down and started to kind of work out, well, who will do what and what works best, I had that script in my head of, well, anything's possible. And that's really why I I chose Not Like Other Dads. I wanted it to be clear that that's not just a sexuality thing, though obviously that's my elephant in the room that I sit in. It's really more about choosing to rewrite a parenting script that is hundreds of thousands of years in the making.
0: It's easy to get trapped into what your parents did and follow mm. in their footsteps without even realizing what's going on. So it's great yes. to hear that you have taken that, but you're rewriting your own parenting journey on the foundations of your parents' um, relationship, which seems like sounds like a very strong relationship.
1: Yeah, still um, is.
0: Let's talk quickly about all your hilariously relatable videos on social media. (laughs) Is being a dad different to what you imagined it would be?
1: Yeah, I think so. I I think every parent probably thinks that, don't they? They have one idea and then the rude reality is very different. What's interesting about my videos and what's interesting about my success on social media, and I think it answers your question beautifully, is that the people I connect with the most are women. 99% of my followers are women. 99% of the people who consume all of my podcasts, whether it's parenting or queer related, are women. People who come up to me on the street or at a playground and recognize me say, I'm so shocked that I relate to you so much. Your experience is my experience. And so I think the thing that has shocked me the most about being a dad is that the role of primary caregiver, primary parent, which is the role that I have filled really since the day my children were born, does not and should not be connected to a gender. It's not necessary. Women see themselves in me because our experiences, other than caring the children and breastfeeding, which of course I do not understand and will not pretend to, are the same. Because after those phases. The day to day tasks of changing nappies and feeding, the consumption in your brain of ensuring the child's well being, the anxiety that fills your bones at the end of the day to ensure your child is prepared for the following, the constant lists that run in your head of what needs to happen. That is inside of who I am. And so I guess the biggest shock to me was there is a script that exists for what it means to be a man. And there is a similar script that sits right beside it of what it means to be a father. Our world has been moving and progressing and changing, and it gets better and better and better. I mean, you're talking to me, and I'm a gay man about parenthood. So clearly, we're, it's, we're, we're going in the right direction. But I basically woke up a couple years into parenting and realized this idea of like mom, dad, mom does A, father does Z kind of thing. I'm like, is it necessary anymore? Should we really be focusing more on just partners and parents? Because my experience of fatherhood is that I'm living a very similar life to most women. I really am. And I think when women see that and look at me, they go, oh, it's not just a woman thing. It's a parent thing. And if they're not getting the similar support that they see in my videos or their partner doesn't analyze parenting the way that I do as a man, that's an opportunity, open communication and conversation about how our relationships and our partners can support us better. And that's been the biggest shock to me. I guess my revelation of the last couple of years is I'm a father who is mothering. I'm a father who is mothering. I think that's a really powerful statement that Maggie Dent said to me once about me, That will stick with me for the rest of my life and when people hear that they get it and when they get it they realize that we are at a different place than we were say in the 30s or 60s or even 80s
0: and to summarize what you're saying um you're effectively you have broken down those gender norms to make it work for you and your family And that's what we encourage every family to do because, as you say, those gender norms that have mums doing one thing and dads doing another doesn't work. They don't work for every family. And every Mm. family has to decide what works for them to make it happen so that they have that equilibrium and happy, healthy environment to live in. So Mm. that's a great experience. Um, Thank you for talking about that. Yeah. Taking care of ourselves as individuals, Sean, is crucial for our effectiveness as parents. I love the message you shared about the importance of making time for ourselves. Can you explain how you apply this idea to your parenting approach?
1: Yeah. When Josh and I sat down in the many, many, many months before our children were born, right? our journey was a little bit longer than everybody else's. We had conversations about what we weren't. Willing to lose when we became a parent because we had a lot of friends with kids and they were honest with us about what they did lose. One of the things that came up was travel is really important to my husband, very important. How would we continue to see the world with children? And would it always be possible to have the same experience that we had pre child? I think a lot of people, and this is a, and I believe it's a very outdated idea, but a lot of parents. Go into parenting and believe every time that I step away from my children, I am failing as a parent. And unfortunately, it's not just an internal belief, it's a societal belief. You know, I've seen mothers post on social media going on a three week, three day trip with my girlfriends, and you'll always see three or four comments going, How could you leave your children? But will your husband even know what to do? What if your child misses you? I'm saying it with a cheeky tone, but I actually just like think it's wildly dangerous and inappropriate. That conversation with Josh and I about how we could travel without children and if it would be possible for us to to continue to enjoy space with our friends that are distance from our role as parenthood planted a small seed that when we became parents, we worked together to ensure that we could each have space. Sometimes that's space during the week to go and exercise, but other times, and and this is what I write about in the book and it's also what often gets spoken about in the public forum around Josh and I is we allow ourselves 2 weeks a year no matter how we choose to split it up to go and enjoy the world away from the family. And it's a privilege, I like to acknowledge that you you need to have money, but I often encourage women, get a hotel room in your town, down your street just for one night. You would you deserve a break. And I also say with privilege There are people who don't have support systems. There are people who don't have partners who can do that. But I'm hoping by talking about this, the big insight is, if parenting is working for you perfectly, if you are happy exactly with the way you're doing things, then you don't need to listen to me. But every woman I talk to, it's almost every woman, says, I'm overworked, I'm underappreciated, I need a break, I'm consumed by parenthood. I miss my friends. I miss the old me. I hear this every single day. So if that's you, and if you're hearing this, what I would say is, I would encourage you to baby step. Don't just jump in and take three weeks off. But what would it look like to take one day off? What would it look like to have two days with your girlfriends on a mini trip? And then over the course of many years, you and your partner can develop a system where every year, because I believe it's very important that every year you're focusing on self-care and self-help. How can I take a break from my responsibilities, reconnect to who I am outside of my role as a parent so that when I come back, I can thrive as a mother. I can thrive as a father. I really love it for a couple of reasons. One, I get a break Mm -hmm. and who doesn't want that? Well, two, my children. Are learning to connect with my husband outside of the structures that I have created as the primary parent. That's very important that I relinquish some control, they connect with him, and sometimes they develop new systems when I'm away, and those systems actually work better. And then three, which I think is the most important, what a gift we can give our children to to allow them to see us as more than just a parent, to understand over time that they're not always going to have you right there holding your hand. Sometimes they'll have to learn to cope with other people. I just think if you think about those three things, you'll probably sit and go, "You know what? I do deserve a couple of days off. I do deserve a trip. Have that conversation with your partner, but don't just say, "I want this. Say, we deserve this. You deserve it, and I deserve it. How can we work together to give it to ourselves? If it's a money problem, ask a friend who's going on a holiday to sit to babysit their house and, and water their plants. There are, options. Don't let this be a hurdle. Put yourself first. We've lived in a very child first. I would say the last couple of decades have been very child first focused. I would love to, to see us kind of combine it. So it's child and parent first. And I know that seems counterintuitive, but I believe it's possible with an option like this.
0: It's a bit like the planes where they say, put your own oxygen mask on first before you put on the oxygen mask for your child. You've got to look after yourself to be in a position to look after your family and your children, don't you? We often get so caught up in being parents and it can become our only identity. So it's Mm. really important um, to take your wise words and take some time for self-care which will, as you say, look different for each family and how it might work for them and their partners. But um, Mm -hmm. take some time off for self-care, even if it's, you know, a day, a night away, as you're saying, or a walk in the park for a couple of hours, a coffee with friends. It can be as small as that, can't it?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Sean, lastly, if you had one message for parents who might be struggling to navigate their parenting journey, what would that be?
1: I find. Throughout all my conversations in this parenting landscape over the last five years, six years, that we have killed the tribe. It's gone in many ways. We've walked far away from community-centered approaches, not just to parenting, to being a human. And we're spending more and more time alone. We're spending more and more time with our nuclear family and less time with the large tribes around us. That means we absolutely have friends, but mostly parasocial online. We have family, but we might talk to them on the phone or on group chats. We don't get together as much. And what that means is we're really failing parents. Because for so many decades, centuries, really, children were raised and parents thrived with the support of not one or two people, but Sometimes, literally hundreds, like your baby would be breastfed by other people. They'd be carried, they'd be helped, they'd be educated. And I think we've gone very far because of travel, relocation, technology, transportation. You know, we live very far away from support systems. But even when we live in the same neighborhood as our family and friends, maybe we live in the same place we grew up, I hear from many women, mostly, again, most of my audience are women, that they don't have. a a support system that allows them to thrive, a support system that allows them to work as much as they'd like to, a support system that allows them not to work if they don't want to, a support system that gives them a break. And so what I often say to people who are struggling, when I look back through the most challenging times of my parenting journey, it was when I didn't have a support system, someone I could call at any time, or multiple people who could assist me, who could pick up my children, who could give me a break if I was having a difficult time. And I think we have to do, or if you're struggling, what I would encourage you to do start to build that tribe for yourself. It's going to be difficult because we've had COVID, technology runs our lives, and so we're used to not having physical connections as much anymore. Maybe we work from home full-time, we're not going into the office anymore. And so building up that muscle of asking people for dates and setting up schedules and trialing new babysitters and looking for nannying services and you know the literal list goes on and on and on, that can be tricky. So I'm not saying it won't be hard. What I'm saying is in times where you're happy and thriving is the best time to build systems to support you when you're struggling. Most of us get to our breaking point. We've been watching the kids for five days. We haven't had any support. We're behind on work. We're stressed. We're yelling. And then we go, I need help. That's not the right time. That's not it. That moment is almost too late. Because we're not in the best mental headspace to reach for the, you know, the support system, to hit that call button. And so for me, it's like long before parenting, I think it's building that system, that tribe, that community, putting yourself out there. And the best way to do it is to offer the support to others, is to call a friend and say, "You don't get a deci- you don't get a choice in the matter. I'm watching your kids on Tuesday. Go on a date with your husband. Go on a solo date pick up the phone, call your sister-in-law and say, I know you think you got it covered. I don't care. I want the kids to come and stay with me for two days. I promise you, if you scratch their back, they are more likely to scratch yours. And I just think a lot of friends, if you ask girlfriends, they all want to help each other, but they just feel it's complicated. Oh, I just, I don't want to bother them. Or I don't want them to think that I think they need help. We all need help. Every one of us needs a break. I don't know a single woman. I literally do not know a single mother who does not deserve a massage. I don't know a single one. I've never met them. So just that's really for me, it's all about tribe. It's all about doing your part to help your intended tribe. So they're more likely to help you. And I think if we started to do that a little bit more, babysitting other people's kids, inviting them over, giving our friends break, I really do think parenting would be easier for everyone.
0: I love that, um, what you said about when you are going strong and doing well, that's the time to build the structure around you for a time when you might be struggling in the future. Mm-hmm. That's um, very wise words. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you join us, Sean. Um, so inspiring to hear about your parenting journey so far. And once again, congratulations on your book. Thank we look so forward much. to having you come back on again soon. Listeners, we encourage you to grab a copy, Not Like Other Dads. And if you haven't already, check out Sean's videos on his Insta at Sean Zeps. Thanks again, Sean, and look forward to seeing you again soon.
1: Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.